Welcome to Lithium Ion Rocks, episode 27, Almost Famous Lithium 2.0. 2020 hindsight meets 2030 vision and Lithium 3.0. The Roaring Twenties Lithium are upon us. Broadcasting from Bull's Lair, Forest Hills, hometown of Paul Simon, who you just heard humming like a GMC electric hummer. I'm a bit surprised that GM is using just LeBron James and not bringing back uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, given his fantastic uh, used car salesman impersonation of uh, Howard Kleiner. Hello. Looking for a car? Hey. Howard Kleiner. Good to see you, yeah. What are you looking for? We're looking for, uh, like, electric. Fuel efficient, like, quiet. I have exactly what you're looking for. Can the battery powered power car do this? Uh, uh, I think this will piss off my neighbor. You <laughs> them right, it will impress your neighbors. <laughs> this is testosterone. Yes. Rodney and I begin this great decade with a recap of our year end notes. Will 2020 finally be the year for lithium? This podcast will be similar to our first podcast uh, last year, where you can hear a bit of a monologue script from myself and also from Rodney. We also have a repeat guest, uh, Garrett Fueling, had uh, two or three more comments from our last very popular podcast that he, he wanted to interject. Rodney and I talked about the liquidity crunch in China as early as our first podcast in January last year, so that didn't come as a surprise, nor did the oversupply of spodumene last year, which we predicted. I held no spodumene-only producers except for mineral resources, which I knew was going to receive a big check from Albemarle, which turned out to be the most stable lithium stock of all that I track. My focus on the vertical integrated hard rock to hydroxide plays worked out well with Kidman, but uh, less well with Namasco, which I comment on a bit later. Among the advanced developers, uh, Piedmont Lithium, another vertically integrated hard rock, uh, was among the best performers, so was right about that one. And it continues to be among my favorites in the space. My caution about the political environment in Argentina was uh, well-placed, given uh, Macri losing to Fernandez Fernandez. I restricted my exposure in Argentina to producing companies Livent and Oracobre with a, a small remnant position in Lithium Americas, expecting that uh, 2019's visibility at Livent uh, was as secure as Paul Graves indicated it would be in the IPO roadshow. And unfortunately, I was disappointed to see that that was not the case. Overall, the Mr. Market scoreboard showed about a minus 4% for the aggregate market cap, which uh, is not so bad, uh, and it was largely due to the significant outperformance of Ganfeng, which uh, Rodney indicated as his top pick last year, and I was invested in that as well. Unfortunately, I, I wish I owned more of it than I did. But Ganfeng's not nearly as easy to trade as Livent is uh, available on Schwab uh, you know, for zero commissions now. Uh, to buy Ganfeng costs about $1,000 per trade in and out. So if you're investing 50 grand, that's like 2%, you know, that you're giving in and out, you know, you got to like think I'm going to, I'm going to lose 4% just on, on, on buying that unless you have, you know, kind of an interactive broker's account, which is a lot more cumbersome. 
we were right about air supply, uh, Morgan Stanley being wrong about the supply coming from Chile, but there was a very significant increase in Shanghai brine supply, some 40,000 according to General Lithium, which uh, nobody really had forecast. The big miss was kind of a six-month one in that I thought the trade war would be resolved by May, uh, but it only got resolved uh, about six or seven months later. Last year was a market of uh, four quarters, actually. If I look back at our podcasts and the optimism expressed by uh, guests like Mark Calderwood and Ken Brinsden as late as May of last year, uh, there was a big rally. I mean... uh, Argentine brine stories, uh, Neolithium and Lithium Americas had done well, you know, up through kind of March, April. So it came as a, a pretty big shock. And I asked uh, Ken Brinsden at the Benchmark Cathodes Conference kind of what happened. This was in, in November. Uh, and he basically said, you know, from June, July, the phone stopped ringing in China, right? It just kind of stopped. And, and that was, again, the impact of the subsidy change and uh, and liquidity. As wrong as uh, Morgan Stanley was on the air supply uh, from SQM, they were right on many other topics, including uh, the DNA of SQM to take advantage uh, of being low-cost supplier, and uh, they've re-entered the Chinese market, uh, pressuring severely the uh, Western Australian hard rocks. And finally, the huge surprise of the year was the uh, political uh, uproar in Chile in in Q4. Uh, We had talked about uh, no drama, lithium power. I still believe that story is uh, ripe to get their environmental impact statement uh, done in in the next couple of weeks, and and there'll be a deal with Cadelco, but the... uh, Political stability of Chile uh, being uprooted uh, is a topic that uh, we'll be covering more uh, later this year. Uh, We'll we'll see how events unfold. I still have confidence that OECD country uh, Chile, as opposed to frontier market Argentina, uh, is going to be a, a more favored place for foreign investors to invest and should have a, a, a lower risk. And, and um, my observations of Pinera and, and changing the constitution and, you know, spending more money, you know, they have low inflation, they have a good fiscal deficit, you know, so they have the means, they have democracy, uh, you know, so I'm looking optimistically at Chile uh, and believe that uh, the most advanced brine in South America, lithium power, uh, is another very important you know, first half story to watch. As we begin our second year together, uh, Rodney and I are pretty much sticking with the same format as we reach the Jane and George Battery Pack investors, focusing mostly on financial uh, analysis, uh, some industry commentary. We have Garrett Fueling here, but uh, for the most part, uh, listeners here are trying to find uh, which companies um, are likely to be winners. We've had some success in the past in finding three, five, and ten baggers, and that's uh, very much a focus of mine, as well as commenting on some of the bigger cap names. We will continue to have interesting guests and uh, interesting banter, but uh, this 
podcast should be listened to in conjunction with both my lithium ion bull and Rodney's extensive notes on LinkedIn, as well as our commentary on Twitter. And we'd encourage you all again to support this uh, in the future through the Patreon platform. Go to www.patreon.com slash lithium ion rocks and strongly encourage you to donate whatever you can, 25, 50, 100 bucks. We haven't advertised this too uh, aggressively, but uh, it would be great like uh, Piano Man Tip Jar if uh, you all find value in what you're hearing to contribute monthly what you can. And as we look toward Lithium 3.0, I, I quote Rodney, it may take 60 years to reach the first million tons of demand in 2025, but expect the next million to take around six years, around 2030, 31, new assets will be needed. And in my view, kind of who's next, blue sky and green fields, with a 2030 vision, we need to think about 2 million tons of LCE is an incremental 1.7 million new tons. That's six times 2019 production, which is equivalent to 17 new Wajinas, or 65 to 70, 25,000 ton per annum new processing plants. I believe the United States can lead North America to 400,000 tons of annual production, which would equate to 20% of a 2 million global LCE market, or about a 33% of the EV OEM qualified hydroxide, carbonate, and, and metal processing market. When I talk about North America, I'm talking the United States of America, Mexico, and Canada. Where all of this 400,000 tons come from? I listened to Vivas Kumar of Benchmark Minerals uh, eloquently analogizing a Manhattan project recently in relation to uh, EV supply chains. The USGS just put out its uh, critical minerals list, of which lithium was one. But quite frankly, I think abundant lithium is not so much critical as it is irreplaceable, as Volkswagen calls it. But the reference to a Manhattan project is constructive as the USA's global lithium leadership through Albemarle and Livent started in North Carolina, mining and processing world-class spodumene for the hydrogen bomb. I see a history repeat with explosive Carolina tin spodumene lithium production growth, not only from the plain vanilla pegmatites in North Carolina, but also potentially importing from Brazil, possibly Sigma and AMG's lithium, as well as uh, from Europe, possibly from Savannah and other hard rock deposits there, as well as Quebec, conceivably spodumene from Wabuchi could come down to North Carolina. The Manhattan Project I reference, of course, is a NASDAQ-listed Piedmont lithium led by New Jersey's Keith Phillips. Anyone who's heard Keith present knows how much he loves driving his Tesla Model 3. Regular readers of the lithium-ion bull know how much I love KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. Leonard Skinner features prominently in the almost famous soundtrack as uh, the director Cameron Crowe got his start writing about the band in the early 70s. Big news towards the end of last year was GM and LG Chem announcing a joint venture for a $2.3 billion gigafactory in Michigan. And earlier this year, SK Innovation talked about expanding their Georgia plant and referenced the fact that they wanted to avoid tariffs and they wanted to be closer to sources of supply, expecting you know more Asian battery factories to come here. 
Volvo, owned by China's Geely, uh, right after the signing of the trade deal with China, said they're going to create an electric version of its uh, XC90 crossover in Charleston, South Carolina. By assembling the packs on campus, Volvo hopes to reduce shipping costs involved in transporting the heavy batteries. A Volvo built in 2025 will leave a carbon footprint that is 40% lower than a car we built today, said the CEO of Volvo. We've made safety part of our brand. We should do the same with sustainability. Benchmark Minerals this week put out a cathode tracking product, which I call critical cathodes, and it shows, like mining, uh, but even worse, that uh, the U.S. doesn't have very much cathode making here. So in order to be sustainable, America can very much have a closed loop from mining to chemical to cathode to battery to pack to EV. So attention to Umicor, which has their U.S. headquarters in Raleigh, North Carolina. Where are the cathodes? Volkswagen, why aren't you dictating to Umicore and SK Innovation, your other suppliers, that they build these factories here? When BMW is suggesting all of their hydroxide is going to come from Ganfeng, which is coming from Australia to China, you know, all the way to Europe, and that being sustainable, um, it's much more sustainable if you have uh, shorter distances uh, for your supply chain. So to me, North Carolina is the most obvious place in the United States and North America to be uh, producing high volumes of lithium hydroxide. And this is a story and a space that anyone listening to this podcast should focus greatly on, not only for Piedmont, but also over time, I believe, Albemarle, which referenced they have 50,000 tons of per annum LCE from their Kings Mountain mine. With 2020 hindsight and 2030 vision, I believe North Carolina tins bodgemain belt is like death and taxes, inevitable. One thing that is not obviously simple, but uh, increasingly I believe we should kiss DLE, uh, direct lithium extraction opportunities. So I'm bullish on standard lithium in Arkansas. I'm also bullish that Livent's investment in E3 will demonstrate uh, success there. And there are other opportunities in the Salton Sea. An attraction for DLE projects, as we see it, is rather than needing $500 million to prove a concept, with 5 10 or 20 or $50 million, you can determine whether or not uh, a, a, a process and an asset is workable, and then it's a question of scaling out rather than scaling up, whereas other projects like clay, other non-traditional uh, hard rock deposits generally require some four or five hundred million to invest before you work out whether or not you can make battery quality product. So DLE in general, I think, is a lower risk, high return, but uh, certainly speculative. Nothing's yet been proven, but uh, it's definitely a space that we think is sustainable. And within America and North America, there are abundant resources there. And as I have traveled around and spoken to a lot of large oil prospective investors and others, uh, I find uh, increasingly significant interest in DLE, much more so than I do in other unconventional lithium projects. But I am bullish on clay. I mean, for the first seven years of my 10 years of marketing lithium companies, I focused exclusively on what is now called Thacker Pass. 
I was surprised and disappointed that Ganfeng uh, didn't come in to partner there. But I was pleasantly surprised when they came in to partner with Back and Nora, which is uh, the first half story to watch, in my opinion. Back and Nora has indicated that uh, Ganfeng, with their help, is uh, looking at new costings for their feasibility study, possibly importing some equipment from China, and uh, look forward to seeing that in the coming months. And uh, hopefully, they will successfully raise the capital and and be in full construction in the next number of months this year. If they're producing battery quality lithium, then I believe Thacker Pass and other clay projects will attract investment. The greatest respect for the Lithium Americas team, John Evans and Rene LeBlanc, and all of those guys are great. They have never done anything like they are attempting to do uh, with Thacker Pass and just having marketed that story for a long time and in market again now with so many uh, investors that I'm speaking to from Big Chemical, Albemarle Livent uh, have given me every indication that they don't have interest in clay. Big mining, uh, you know, we'll see. Rio has been very slow and, and maybe they'll do something in Jadar, but, you know, BHP and others don't seem to have an interest. And uh, Big Oil, you got Schlumberger came into Pure Energy, I guess Chemical, you got Langsess. I just think that uh, Big Oil and uh, other commodity chemical are, are more comfortable with liquid than they are clay. Ioneer, Hard Rock, Boron, and uh, Lithium uh, is probably the second project that is uh, most likely in the United States to get in production. Uh, I noticed that uh, they resolved uh, their buckwheat problem, which uh, coincided with the great Eddie Murphy being on Saturday Night Live, bringing back that great character in addition to Gumby and several others. From Cinnamon Girl to Tim Horton Donut, uh, Rocket in the Free World was not one of the greatest hits from Neil Young's 1977 decade, nor, it turns out, for Lithium in the 2010s. But I see a battery quality hydroxide shortage and a price spike now much more likely to happen sooner and perhaps more acutely as a result of events in Quebec as Northvolt, LG Chem, Johnson Matthey, and other Namaska offtake partners will scramble to source more of their irreplaceable lithium from Chinese assets. Whatever operational difficulties they had, I, I still believe that um, the capital structure of that company uh, got it, it is the most difficult uh, part. When you have Tangxi in Quinana having a similar type overrun, but a very different cost of capital structure with their um, essentially state-owned Chinese backing, uh, companies like that don't have to kind of go into receivership or creditor protection. The year is starting with a potential refinancing at Altura. I don't know, maybe some of the debt holders in Namaska who received uh, quite a bit of their money may seek to redeploy into Altura. Uh, the best investors in lithium and lithium 2.0 were secured debt holders. So if you look at Tribeca in Al Alita, you know, they did very well. All of the debt providers for Altura who got 14, 15% interest rate plus warrants and stock and the Namaska holders who never had to lend a dime, but got, you know, 11.5% interest rate, all did fantastically well. So that's a lesson from Lithium 2.0. Secured debt kills equity, but secured lenders make a killing. 
Happy 2020 to all the listeners of the Lithium Iron Podcast. Thank you all for your support during 2019. We look forward to a new year and a new decade, and uh, it started off really well for lithium equities. We've seen a lot of the Australian-listed entities having a rally in the developer space and in the producer space. Interesting as Livent has uh, given some warnings, but I think markets typically are forward-looking, and uh, it seems that a lot of the good news being released by the various uh, OEMs is uh, suggesting that uh, sales could be on the up, and uh, we're likely to see uh, a continued growth in uh, mega factory expectations and development, particularly in Europe. On that front, late last year, Northvolt said they could well potentially be looking at targeting 150 gigawatt hours of battery capacity by 2020 by 2030. Uh, and suggested that they would be roughly 25% of that market. That mathematically suggests a market of 600 gigawatt hours, substantially higher than what Benchmark Minerals previously had in the 300s range by 2028. So it looks as if Europe is definitely taking it seriously. In 2021, Northvolt is looking to launch its um, its uh, its first battery cell plant and uh, looking to grow that up to 32 to possibly 40 gigawatt hours in time. So Europe is definitely on the move and uh, there's also increasing talk of a carbon border tax, which is something that uh, I've discussed, uh, Howard and I have also discussed on various podcasts and in LinkedIn writing. It's highly likely that uh, there will be some kind of a standardization and an evening up of the competitive landscape where European companies are forced to comply with certain standards and other producers aren't, and therefore giving need uh, and the you know the need for a, a carbon border tax. So let's see where that goes. I think it it will come in time. At the moment, there is a shortage, particularly on the um, battery quality uh, lithium front for. Uh, for tier one batteries, so it may not be as pressing, but in time, I do believe that uh, a carb, some form of a carbon tax and a carbon border tax will be introduced. When we'll have to see, there will no doubt be a lead in, but it will most definitely come into play, I think. Um, on the EV sales front, we're seeing Tesla do really well. They are certain fleet incentives uh, that exist in Europe, particularly in the UK and Germany. We saw big Tesla sales and other EV sales in the Netherlands before the cutoff of the end of 2019, but those fleet incentives still remain in the UK and Germany, and that is likely to underpin uh, more EV sales. You know, an early launch of, a, of the Model Y, there's now talk about at some point when the semi will be put into production, and uh, I've seen various articles suggesting that uh, the Gigafactory 1 in Nevada will increase its production capacity from 35 gigawatt hours to 54. We're seeing um, China ramp at the same time, and uh, the, uh, the German factory just outside Berlin for the Gigafactory uh, 4 in Europe uh, also... Uh, coming into play. So all of these 
movements from Tesla. It's gone from the story to a story back, it seems, to the story at the moment, although we will see other Western OEMs looking to meet the CO2 emission standards. But uh, as mentioned in my article um, at the end of last year, is you know one has to take into account how small the battery quality lithium hydroxide market is. It really is. It's um, not big at all. We've seen VW and BMW do fairly sizable offtake, roughly in the region of 10,000 tons per year. You've already got Tesla with its existing contracts and the um, Japanese and South Korean cathode makers. So uh, I think that uh, as Europe is on the rise with the battery factories, they are going to look, certainly Northvolt will be looking to secure its lithium. And I still believe that that is the first market to turn. Yes, the LFP market's having a bit of revival uh, with BYD talking about a sort of 600 kilometer range and possibly even a million kilometer life expectancy on its uh, advanced LFP battery. But in the tier one world uh, outside of China, you're definitely going to see um, the large OEMs picking up pace and I think looking for, most definitely looking for hydroxide. When will that turn? It depends on who looks to secure what. A very strong start to 2020 in EV sales would be hugely helpful, as will a strong uh, China sales with uh, the now public uh, announcement that the uh, subsidies won't be cut again in 2020 or there will be marginal cuts but largely left in place. There has been talk of an expectation of EV sales of 1.8 to 2 million in 2020. That's substantially up on the 1.2 in 2019, which was a drop from the 1.3 in 2018. So at anything around the 1.8 to 2 million over 1.2 would be a substantial rise. And, you know, given the, uh, the, the sort of cash working cycle of Chinese manufacturers and producers, they will most likely now need to restock in anticipation of higher sales for this year now that they have that information. And I believe that is bullish along with European sales. So there's been a lot of talk. Livent has been bearish so of some other market commentators, but I think that it is possible that we will see uh, inventory builds coming up in the near future uh, to meet demand. Um, Tesla's share price, you know, nearly $500 a share. It puts them in a phenomenal position to do acquisitions or uh, investments or joint ventures into other companies. And their battery day is looming. It's either next month in February or likely in March. And if they are aggressive as they could potentially be, we could see another trigger in, um, in, uh, in bull sentiment towards uh, EV battery metals and in particular lithium. Uh, based on my models, uh, which sort of vary in between the bulls and the bears, I, I still believe that they, as, uh, as things stand, will be looking to target about 100 gigawatt hours of battery capacity by 2023. That's a meaningful lift on where they are now, and 
to my mind, that alone will need something in the order of 40,000 tons of lithium hydroxide battery quality on its own. So when will this filter through to the market? I'm hoping that it will filter through sooner rather than later as people look to tie in contracts. Um, given where current prices are, if they can find quality, they're going to be getting it at, at uh, very good levels now. We shall see if Albemarle and others cave in terms of contract negotiations or whether they ride it out. They do have the cash flows from their other non-lithium businesses, but it's a question of uh, how they're going to play out in strategy. So we shall see. We look forward to speaking to experts. Um, some good news uh, coming out of various different companies, but I do believe that carbon footprint and... Um, and uh, just uh, in general, uh, sustainability of lithium production is a theme. I mentioned it last year, I think 2020, as people get serious about ramping up EV sales, it is going to become an issue. So companies that are focusing on new technologies and can get them right, I think are going to be well placed. So if we look at uh, outside of Australia, we are still confident of uh, some of the conventional plays in America, lower cost, lower taxes, and uh, an opportunity to have um, integrated production with, uh, which should uh, have a relatively low carbon footprint. So lots to be excited about. Yes, we could see short term. We did see SQM with estimated sales of around 15,000 tons in Q4. Um, Will they continue to sell lower quality material into China and suppress the market? We'll have to see, but we don't have a lot of production coming online from um, brine sources in 2020 or expansions. If anything, you know, you could see more restrictions with that uh, legal ruling against SQM. And, uh, and we shall see what comes out of the uh, Aussie producers into the China non-integrated chemical producers. I still believe that um, given where prices are at currently, they, you know, they, they might be working a plan, but it's unlikely that they can sustain uh, you know, volumes with prices being sort of sub eight, eight and a half, doesn't make sense. So we'll have to wait to see when sanity prevails and, uh, and volumes tip off. So it's gonna be an interesting year. Garrett, uh, our last podcast was uh, among our most popular, and uh, but there were a couple of questions that you had emailed me after the fact that you, you wanted to cover. Let me start with the, the margins and cost curves. When we started uh, to increase prices in 2011, uh, we argued to customers who, who always came up with our pinpointing at the margins we made, that we need those margins in order to finance expansions because capital markets uh, were not uh, really providing us the cash we needed for it. And I think if you are on the left side of the cost curve like SQM is or Albemarle is, then uh, you have the margins uh, which allow you to generate enough uh, cash uh, in order to finance this from, from an internal cash flow without uh, needing to, to rely on, on debt or external other financing. 
Um, these days, when the prices come back, it's, it doesn't allow that that high uh, pace of expansion. So that's one reason why, for example, uh, Albemarle is scaling back, uh, aside from uh, maybe the acquisition of uh, Wojina. Uh, so this is the reason why you need those uh, margins, at least at the beginning of uh, of. Uh, cycle when when heavy investments are are needed and capital markets are not in favor favorable condition to support this uh, the other point uh, which is often neglected when talking about south america is that uh, even if it doesn't rain in the atacama very often it does let's say every 10 years or so and uh, I remember a case, uh, 2006, I think it was, when there was a rain in the Atacama and it didn't impact the brine production itself, but it washed away the infrastructure. So the roads and pipes and uh, things like this weren't available anymore for a couple of months and uh, the market went short. So uh, because the the access to the Atacama is for FQM and Albemarle the same. And uh, when you have heavy rains and infrastructure is affected, uh, then it can also affect uh, supplies from Argentina, which uh, is going through the uh, uh, through Chile. So it's one thing is the weather pattern on the other side, there is another uh, issue with weather. It's heavy, rough seas, which may impact uh, shipping X Antofagasta port. This is a small port. I think I have mentioned this in one po in, in one post or in a comment, where when the seas are rough, container ships just pass by because they simply can't enter the port. Uh, most ports in Chile are private, and there's little incentive so far to to increase or to to, to increase capacity and invest. And uh, there is only one company so far, that's uh, SQM, which has an Ikike and own berth, uh, where they can uh, load um, uh, their product onto, onto ships. But all others have to rely on, uh, on alternatives, which take time and additional cost. So this... Uh, Weather patterns, uh, though not frequent, may impact uh, production uh, from South America. And in this sense, you, when you run an automotive factory uh, these days, uh, you can't uh, rely solely on on uh, on, a, on a production on on that area. So you have to have both brine and hard rock. Uh, and the discussion, which is often taking place in, uh, in, uh, on, on conferences or in LinkedIn, is it's, it's often either or. No, it's not either or. It's, it's at its end yeah? um, to cover the, f the future demand anyway. You know, you haven't heard any bad news out of Albemarle in Chile in, in quite a while, right? So, and they reference yeah. that in the investor day that. Uh, Silence is <laughs> is a good thing um, because of of what they've done there. So, do, do you do you sense that that the political winds are, are in Chile? You know, Almol versus SQM are are more in Almol's favor now than they were. Yes, 
they are in the politically favor uh, climate is much better for Albert Marla these days. Yeah, definitely. Right. SQM has been very clear about ramping up volume as much as possible uh, indiscriminately. Yeah, they have ever done. Yeah, <laughs> they have done this. They have done this all the time. But where are they ramping up? They always talk about 70,000 tons. We haven't seen anything be, uh, higher than fifty thousand so far. Well, so, uh, Q four was fifteen thousand, so that's a sixty thousand run rate if it's if that's sustainable. So that that that's if it, if it's sustainable, yeah. Right, but yeah, that's also Q4, which was the highest evaporation rate. So we'll see on a year by year basis. Yeah, and you don't know how much there has been on stock somewhere, no? Or in yeah, the yeah, yeah. So uh, it remains to be seen. So if they can maintain fifteen thousand tons the next two quarters, I believe in the expansion. If they don't do it, I don't believe it, unless I have seen this figure. And, and Sarah, just as a question, you know, my understanding that the battery quality hydroxide market is quite is actually much smaller than you know one thinks. And we've seen VW and BMW sign term contracts with Ganfin. You've got um, Tesla that already has its existing contracts and now looking to launch the Model Y early and potentially expand. The original gigafactory from 35 gigawatt hours to 54, and China expanding. Um, you know, is, is is when is it? When are we likely to see? And Northvolt's also coming online. Their first battery cell plant is coming online in 2021. You know, surely we're going to see battery quality hydroxide. You know, unless there's some surprise growth, I'm not seeing. You know, a lot of that's going to be spoken for in the near future. Uh, this will depend very much on, I think, on, on a number of factors. So what kind of cathode materials are going to be in there? And there is a mix, and this makes it difficult to predict. That's, uh, that's a kind of, an, uh, of a question mark in that sense. Yeah? So hard to predict. But Tesla is, is all hydroxide, is it not? That's, that's all hydroxide so far, yeah. And, and they're looking to launch the Model Y early. They're talking about the semi coming out in 2021. Um, so they alone, you know, look to be, you know, look to possibly need 20 to 30,000 tons of hydroxide additional in the near future, which on its own surely is quite a stretch. Tesla's battery day is going to be a, a, a big uh, moment, I guess, if they are going to make a major move forward. Um, and uh, in terms of, Herod, in terms of this um, uh, Chinese subsidy now going to stay largely the same this year, um, that potentially brings, you know, I hear different forecasts, but 1.2 was the final 2019 number, give or take. I'm hearing 1.82 million. Is that, uh, is that good news for carbonate then? At the end of the day, it's good news for the lithium market, huh? Whether it's carbonate or hydroxide, uh, this is yes. yeah. fair enough. Yeah, so we, we see it from the LCE uh, standpoint. So um, it's 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 good it's good for the carbonate, but the carbonate for 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 EV batteries has never been at the level of, of uh, what we see now for 550 or six or seven or whatsoever. Yeah? So uh, the, the the thing is, if if you have not not what's going to South Korea and Japan, no. No, no, certainly not. And 
even in China it's a bit higher. So uh, it's it's not on that level. Yeah? So if if you have an oversupply on the technical grade markets, uh, the prices will will stay there for, for the time being. Yeah? Uh, unless you find somebody who has uh, set up, that um, some cell producers in, in, in China do, uh, a bicarbonate conversion, a bicarbonate uh, plant for purification of technical grade uh, carbonates uh, to, to, to get better qualities out of that. How prevalent But is that? I know at least two sites where or three actually where who have uh, a purification facility and what sort of volumes uh, in terms of tons 10 to 20000 up to this is expandable so the the investment is not that high yeah? maybe 2 or 3 million and, and you can get such a facility for 5000 5 to 10000 if, if we look at south america neolithium Uh, they are planning their uh, conversion facility not at the altitude where the ponds are, but uh, on a lower area, 1,500 meters or so, so that the purification over there uh, should be easier. It's uh, at altitudes of 4,000 meters, uh, the thing precipitates, bicarbonate precipitates, so that's why it's not advisable to, 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 to make a conversion at this altitude. You can do this, but it requires a different technology. Europe's now talking about a, a carbon border tax. So, you know, by the looks of it, uh, hard rock is definitely more CO2 intensive, has a bigger footprint than, than brine. Uh, if, uh, if Europe is going to look to neutralize the impact, then um, what can be done to sort of mitigate? The only thing you can do is minimize energy consumption or generate power you need by solar solar or wind power it's it's mainly the the, the conversion plants huh? effect yes. yeah so uh, if you if you transfer a conversion plant in australia okay you have enough sun you may generate um, uh, power from solar cells uh, the same in europe you could add wind power um, maybe atomic power although this is not very it's difficult this is uh, publicly difficult to to install Uh, and in Chile, uh, in the Atacama, in the desert up there, there's probably the, the, the way to, to uh, generate also wind power, wind power and solar power. You know, direct lithium extraction is potentially sustainable and also scalable, but n nothing's been commercially done uh, yet. So this is a number of years kind of in the future. Uh, I, I'm with you on it's not either or, uh, DLE, hard rock, clay, uh, you know, or brine, you know, it, it's it invest in everything. Um, but uh, how do you think about that? I mean, you're German and uh, Germany, um, BMW said that uh, they have all their offtake uh, taken care of with Ganfeng, which is, uh, you know, hard rock to uh, coal fired China. Uh, and they're saying that that is sustainable. I think they're saying or contrasting Australia crushing rock to, uh, you know, DRC cobalt uh, with, with potential, you know, child labor issues. But sustainability is is very big buzzword. Um, what do you think of all of that um, as we think of trying to very aggressively scale out uh, this European battery production uh, and the need, uh, you know, Albemarle is talking about, um, you know, hard rock being the, 
uh, the workhorse, you know, for this for the foreseeable future. But if that's you know biggest carbon footprint, what does sustainability mean? Carbon footprint versus other attributes. It's it's going to be a compromise. So uh, if 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 you don't have conversion plants in the West and you only have them in China and these things are operated by uh, by coal, uh, then uh, what 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 are you going to do if you want to produce electric vehicles? There is no other choice. You have to rely on these guys unless you, you set up uh, conversion plants in Europe or in, in, the, in the United States, which are powered by, by different means. This debate will no doubt continue as the Roaring Twenties begin and with 2030 vision with 65 to 70 new conversion plants of 20 to 25,000 needed to meet 2 million tons of LCE supply. I believe we need an all of the above strategy. Sustainability is not just carbon footprint. It's fragile ecosystems, indigenous people, flamingos, ecotourism, dry deserts with not enough water, heavy rains with too much water, high altitude, high inflation, sovereign risk. It's not just a global industry. It's a global emerging market industry with lithium supply coming from not the most stable countries in the world. Supplying the disruption of the most important industry in the United States and Germany and other European countries, Japan, Korea. Security of supply is as important as sustainability of supply. In Lithium-Ion Rocks, Lithium-Ion Bull, and through our respective LinkedIn and Twitter posts, Rodney and I may share with our audience some rationale for a stock for which we have conviction, to own or not to own. If you agree or disagree with and act on or against the rationale of anything said or written in this or any other lithium-ion rocks or lithium-ion bull, that's your free choice. But to be clear, what you are listening to or reading is not investment advice and may not be unbiased. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. Rodney and I are not registered investment advisors nor broker-dealers. Please visit libull.com for further disclaimers.